0: You know, I was a little concerned when I saw that either Journey or Catherine or Ben or somebody put, our, put in the Tuesday Word that I was going to be speaking tonight. Uh, I, I, I afraid the crowd would drop off. I don't know what it is, but uh, I, uh, I remember that story about the bishop who came to the church and he was sitting up with the pastor and the bishop said, hmm, crowd's kind of light, isn't it? And the guy said, yeah, it's not quite what we usually have. And the bishop said, you should have told him uh, I was going to be preaching. And he said, we did tell him. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, uh, people sometimes have asked, and I've told most of you, but not all of you, what what we've been doing after retirement uh, back in 2016. So briefly what we did, Jan and I did a couple interims, one down in Clearwater at Heritage Methodist Church and one at uh, Pasadena in St. Petersburg uh, 16 months and a year. And um, then we did uh, two months at the Villages. And our experience at the Villages was different than what you probably have heard about the Villages. It was actually a a neat church, uh, a good church and a great time. And then COVID hit and everything shut off. Jan and I were looking for some fun things to do in retirement. So we've been playing lots of pickleball, uh, two mornings a week, uh, a couple hours, great exercise. We work out, do some meditation together. So that's been rewarding. And um, did I say working at you? You probably could tell. Uh, uh, lots of reading, lots of travel. And uh, we went, our grandkids asked us to go skiing, taken skiing here a few weeks ago. And uh, cause their dad and mom couldn't do it. So Riley, our ninth grader said, Hey grandpa, why don't you take us? It might be your last chance. She didn't mean it that way, she said, but, uh, and uh, this year's our 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary, yeah, and, uh, oh, Uh, in fact, August 20th, and so what we decided was every, the 20th of every month, we would do something really kind of special, and today's the 20th, So we didn't want to do anything other than spend it with you all. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, we really, we're glad to do it. Uh, So let's see. So uh, the first three weeks of April uh, have been about our eyes, hence the song. Thanks for singing that song, Open the Eyes of Our Heart. So uh, that's the title and the focus. My eyelids, I went to the optometrist, Paul Funderburg, a member of this church, and he He did his little thing and he said, hey, you got droopy eyelids and it's affecting your peripheral vision. And you need to get that, you should get that fixed and Medicare will cover it. And so I did. And you can't tell. uh, What happens when they do this? You know, they lift your eyelids and your eyebrows and whatever's here kind of comes up too. (laughs) So some of you might want to do that. Uh, and then Jan has had cataract surgery uh, last Tuesday and yesterday, one eye, and then the other. So that's been really cool. I remember, some of you remember when you had cataract surgery and how clear things suddenly got? Uh, kind of reminds me of that, that story about the couple who were sitting there, they're looking out their window, they saw this couple, this couple bring their laundry out back when you're hanging up on the line. And, And the husband kept saying, gee, they just hang up dirty laundry. They keep hanging up dirty laundry. And finally his wife went out and cleaned off the window and said, no, it's not the laundry. And somehow, uh, cataract surgery can let you see, you know, the fog is gone. And you can see much more clear. Anybody had this and had the same? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then the eyes of the heart, you know the old story about the little girl, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, whatever, and she it was in art class, and the, they were supposed to draw whatever, and the teacher said, came by and said, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing God. The teacher said, nobody, nobody knows what God looks like. She said, they will in a minute. <laughs> 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 so that's kind of where I want to go with this. Um, as uh, Many of you may remember, uh, I tended to preach on what's going on at the moment. Um, And so when Ben asked, I thought, i would do eyes, Ephesians 1, eyes of your heart. Some friends, some who are here, uh, whenever they hear I'm going to be preaching, they say, oh, you're going to pull out an old sermon? (laughs) And I want you to know, I can't, I've tried that. I go back and look at them, they're so bad. (laughs) They're so... Well, let me just say it. Let me put a euphemism. In. They're so contextual. Like, I couldn't preach this sermon again in a year cause I, unless we had eye surgery again because it's all about eyes. You see what I'm saying? So, any anyway, rate, those of you who said that, you have to repent. Uh, so, my first point is eyelids. So, I had these eyelids lifted, and the idea was to get more safety in your driving and so you could see a wider perspective. That's the first point, a wider perspective. One of, the, uh, one of the things I've been enjoying is listening to the great courses and reading, and I'm currently listening to this lecture series on the Islamic Golden Age, 750 to 1250. Baghdad had running water, hot and cold, inside. One of the greatest cities. Had a house of wisdom. Y- you don't know that because we live in an era where the whole Islamic culture has been slammed. I mean, but this whole this has been widening my perspective. Uh, China, the Opium War. I knew about the Opium War. I didn't know it was a real war. I didn't know the British Empire existed because of the sell of opium that was grown in India to China. And when one of the Chinese leaders said, wait a minute, this is killing our people. You've got to stop. The British said, no, we aren't going to stop. And they brought their battleships in. And it's true. This is a true story. And they enforced the Chinese to take the opium. And they also took part of the property, one of which is Hong Kong. And all that humiliation back in the 1800s comes into play in how China views the West now. I'm I'm not justifying any of that. I'm just saying my perspective has been so widened, it's been wonderful. And I'm concerned about our country, our world, that we have droopy eyelids almost to the point of blinders so that we only see what's in our little tribe, our own little narrow. We've become a nation, a world with blinders, almost closed. We only see what's in this narrow group. This sociologist, you wish I hadn't read so much, but this sociologist Jonathan Haidt in The Atlantic compared our current reality with the Tower of Babel in Genesis 1 where we entered in 2003 with the launching of Facebook which is now 3 billion users and the World Wide Web. I remember a rotary program on the World Wide Web and how we were going to be all interconnected and it was going to be a boom for democracy and we could look up our friends across the world and we're going to be deeply connected. And, and then Google Translate came along and language wasn't a problem anymore because you could have your own language. Wasn't it going to be glorious? And then all oh, that began to change in 2009 because Facebook and YouTube and Twitter found algorithms. Don't ask me what they are. <laughs> but they found algorithms that instead of fostering healthy discussion, Turned to inflaming the discussion. You've seen it. You know it. Because outrage increased usage, which increased profits. It sold. Then you added the like button, the share button, the retweet. Chipping away at trust. One of the engineers who developed the retweeting application as he watched this mob mentality begin to develop and grow, he regretted ever having done it, and he said wisely, we might have just handled a four-year-old a loaded weapon. Am I overstating this? (laughs) No. We've long had red America and blue America, but now it's more intense. This chasm is so huge, our perspective is so narrow, It's like the Tower of Babel has fallen apart. We're all unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. We're cut off from one another, from any common understanding of the past. Our eyelids are drooping so badly we become almost blind and we can't see this larger perspective. One more couple quotes. Martin Gurry said, the digital revolution has shattered the mirror. Now public, the public inhabits these broken pieces, and you can only see that particular tiny piece, highly fragmented. It's basically mutually hostile, mostly people yelling at each other, living in bubbles of one sort or another, blinders. We need eye surgery, friends. Hate continues, Mark Zuckerberg may not have wished for any of this, but by rewiring everything in a headlong rush for growth, with a naive conception of human psychology, little understanding of the intricacies of institutions, and no concern for external costs imposed on society, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and a few other large platforms, unwittingly, listen to this, unwittingly dissolved the mortar of trust. Belief in institutions and the shared stories that have historically held a large and diverse population together. So from 2009 to 2012, it's like it's as if Facebook and Twitter passed out a billion dart guns globally, and <laughs> we've been shooting at each other. We need a wider perspective. As John Stuart Mill said, who He who knows only his own side of the case knows little of that. So our eyes with a wider perspective, how? How do we do that? Well, I'm happy to tell you that part of the architecture of Trinity is wired to help broaden our perspective. You're sitting not in a closed space, are you, but a glass chapel (laughs) That not only invites, but almost forces you to look out beyond. (laughs) Isn't it great? I always love the lights that go on and on and on. The windows in the worship center are floor to ceiling. Uh, You know the stained glass window above the worship center? Do do, 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 do you know what it's called? Anybody remember? Oh, please tell me you know. (laughs) The welcoming Christ. The welcoming Christ. I'm sorry, I should have told you. Uh, and do you know, n- next time you go over there, I mean, I'll never forget the first night we were in there, a little girl came out and said, There's Jesus' house. <laughs> and the welcoming Christ is standing by something. Anybody remember what it is? It's a stream of water. Do you know what it's called? starts with P (laughs) that's the idea there's Jesus by Possum Creek and how are his arms (sighs) welcoming Christ arms as wide as possible I'm so grateful Catherine you and Steve continue that trajectory of openness wide loving perspective arms wide open so that i'll reminisce a little bit how much time you got no uh so back in the day when terry jones was threatening to burn the koran and send these kids to school with shirts that say islam is of the devil you trinity had a wider perspective you couldn't have done that in a lot of places. But because you rubbed shoulders at the university or whatever reason, it wasn't this, it was this. You rolled up your sleeves and all worked together to make that possible. And faith mission, it's a wider perspective. So you're already, you're doing these things. just, God bless you, keep on doing them. I knew my eyelids were droopy, as a number of other things are. But I didn't know they were impacting my perspective, my peripheral vision. Not until my optometrist said, you need something happening here. What about you? What is the one thing you can do to widen your perspective about others who are different? About other cultures? About yourself? Roger, I'm glad you're here. You always help us see from the perspective of where our daughter is. Thank you. So now with Jan's cataract surgery, she, we can see cl- clearly so well. I remember my own. And I believe the greatest need in our churches and in our world is this, to see God more clearly. To see God as a God of infinite love. Love. Now, don't let that just sort of wash over you. I mean, let that hit you. I think think that is the issue of our day. What kind of God do we know and worship? Is it a God of infinite love? I I, I told this story before, but I'll tell it again. When our our son was four or five, whatever, three, oh, he came into our kitchen and he threw his arms around himself and he said, I like me. I think that's how God wants all of us to feel about ourselves. That we are beloved children of God. The, the, the clearest definition of God, of who God is, is 1 John four sixteen: God is love. Part of my reading in these, these retirement years of the history of the church, a lot of good stuff in the history of the church, a lot of horrible stuff. I mean, over the course of the years, particularly in the Thirty Years' War, Christians killed about a thousand times more Christians than the Romans did of the early Christians. Did you catch that? Christians killed a lot of each other. How can anybody who believes in a God of love be there? But that's where we are. That's where we've been. And so I come back to this. And what the KKK did in the name of Christ are... And the meanness. Recently, one of the Orthodox bishops of Russia claimed that God is on their side and what they're doing to the Ukrainians. I mean, do you see why I believe how we view God? Is God a God of infinite love? Or is God a God of power? A God of judgment? A God of wrath? That's where it comes down. And if God is a God of love, if God is a God of love, then we love as Jesus loved. Not in, we don't live in fear and anger or unkindness. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me go back from out there to the history and all that. You remember that story I told I'm so glad I was asked to do this. I get to reminisce here, but that story about uh, Journey—you didn't know this one, so I'll tell you. But uh, back in the day, uh, I was riding in the funeral procession with the undertaker and Gene Williams, and we dodging cars. It seemed like, and we pulled into Forest Meadows, and there was this big truck coming our way, and the truck pulled over to the side, and the guy took off his cowboy hat, and put it over his heart, and I thought, "Wow, what is that about?" And I looked in the back, and it was porta potty guy. You remember this story? It's the only one of two stories you ever remember. I know that. But so I told about it in church and Reeves Bird, Reeves Bird, Carla, said, uh, uh, you know, there's only two of these companies in town. You could probably find this guy. So I did a little search, went out to the park, found Bob Tully. He's the guy. I said, Bob, what was going on? He said, that's how I was raised. I said do you go to church somewhere hoping he would say yes <laughs> he said no I stopped going to church when they told me I couldn't drink and I couldn't fish on Sunday and that's when I said come on over join our Methodists. <laughs> you can do whatever you want almost but isn't that not only a missed opportunity isn't it tragic that someone would define what it means to be a follower of Jesus by what you can't do? If, if that person really believed that God is of infinite love, he would have said, gee, Bob. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Would have treated Bob like Patty does all those Sunday school kids you've been teaching for how many, 20 years? Wow. If we truly believed that God is a God of infinite love, uh, back in 1970, Jan, Jan was a sophomore, I was a j- senior at Asbury College. And many of you know this, but there was a spontaneous revival. I mean, it's hard to draw an analogy because you don't know where that's ever happened before or after, and most people haven't experienced it. But But really, God's Spirit came upon that campus of 1,200 students for eight days. It was palpable. It was four or five hundred people in the chapel at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning. It was one of these moments. And I knew it was real when I walked into a little campus diner called Dynamite. <laughs> and the love there was palpable. And that, sh- that shaped, I think, the rest of my life that the heart of it all is the love of God. That <laughs> sounds so simple, doesn't it? But the heart of it all is the love of God. And so, back to this scripture. I don't think I ever read the scripture, did I? Well, that's all right. You go look at it. It's on the back there somewhere. You read it. But, so it says, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which you've been called. <laughs> if you didn't get it on Sunday at Easter, you won't get it. <laughs> that's hope. That's the Easter hope that you may know the riches of your inheritance as a beloved child of God who holds you in his arms. So that you not only like you, but you like everybody else. And so that three and his incomparably great power for us, these three things, hope, heritage, and courage. And I like to crystallize these three in a person. A person. Volodymyr Zelensky. I posted this on Facebook, if you've read it, it's all right, you'll hear it again, but before I do, many of you know that Jan and I have been involved with the Moscow Theological Seminary for, I don't know, 15 years, 10 years, and yes, there are a number of students, some are from Ukraine. Alexander is a a doctor who's also a pastor, he's from eastern Ukraine. We're in tremendous fighting. Volodymyr, a young, dynamic pastor, is from western Ukraine. Sergey, the president, Edward, the bishop, it's, it's, it's horrendous, as you know. But we hear from them, and they seem to be, uh, the churches are helping out. So, Brett Stevens yesterday wrote a marvelous piece called Why We Admire Vladimir Zelensky, and I'm going to read just part of it. We admire him because in the face of unequal odds, he stands his ground. We admire him because he proves the adage that one man with courage makes a majority, or one woman. We admire Zelensky because he has restored the idea of the free world to its proper place, because he embodies two great Jewish archetypes, David in the face of Goliath and Moses in the face of Pharaoh. And then finally, and this is priceless, I think, we admire Zelensky because he models what a man should be, Impressive without being imposing. Confident without being cocksure. Intelligent without pretending to be infallible. Sincere rather than cynical. Courageous not because he's fearless, but because he advances with a clear conscience. Dear God, would you bless and protect Vladimir Zelensky and the dear Ukrainian people. And dear friends, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened so that you can live with hope, heritage, and courage. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.